I was thinking this week, you know, what, what were we going to share today? You know, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and it didn't seem right to just kind of continue in that journey. And so I was praying this week, and I'll be honest with you, it wasn't until Saturday morning that I really felt the Spirit move me towards a specific passage. And that passage is in Psalm 27. And so if you're at home and you have a Bible, please uh, grab that Bible. If you want to use a phone, turn it on. However that works for you where you are right now, uh, just please join us in this. And as I, as I read this and kind of quote it, my heart's desire is this would be a prayer for us, that we wouldn't just hear these words, but in some ways allow the Lord to speak these words over us as a prayer and a reminder of who he is in a time of uncertainty and challenge and difficulty. And so Psalm 27, uh, let me read that for you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my foes and my enemies attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even, even then will I be confident. Father, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. Father, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek you in your temple. From the day of trouble, you will keep us safe in your dwelling. You will hide us beneath the shadow of your tabernacle. And you'll set us high upon a rock. Tell us then our head will be exalted above the enemies that surround us. At your tabernacle, we will sacrifice with shouts of joy. We will sing and make music to the Lord. And so, Father, hear our voice when we call to you, O Lord. Be merciful to us and answer us. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And so, Father, in this time, do not hide your face from us. Do not turn your servants away in anger, for you have, you have been our helper. Do not reject us or forsake us, O God, our Savior. And though my father and my mother may forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So teach us your ways. In this time, Lord, lead us in a straight path because of our oppressors. Do not turn us over to the desires of our foes, for false witnesses rise up against us, breathing out violence. And yet, Father, of all things, we're confident of this. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so, Father, teach us to wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart, and Father, help us simply to wait for the Lord. You know, as we read these words, uh, there are tremendous promises 
in this passage. Uh, Promises of God's presence, promises of confidence in times of difficulty. But what, what I notice in this passage is how honest David is concerning the difficulties he's facing. You know, sometimes in our culture, you'll hear things like, you know, don't think about the bad things that could happen. Don't allow your mind to go to the worst case scenarios. You know, push those things out. Maybe visualize your preferred future. Pursue that. Just positive thoughts. All the negative things need to disappear. That's not the strategy that God gives us. He says it's okay for us in time of uncertainty to think about the fact I could lose my job. My wealth, the things that I've accumulated, the things that have kind of given me security, they've begun to diminish. That's frightening. There are some that we love and people we care for that could get sick, and the possibility is some people could actually die. God says, don't simply push out the negative thoughts. It's it's not about just simply removing those things from our minds, but rather taking those negative, those fears, those anxieties, and actually bringing the fullness of those anxieties into the presence of God. See, there's a strategy for dealing with fear, dealing with uncertainty and anxiety, and David shows us that strategy in Psalm 27. And what I love about it, again, is that he's pretty honest. He tells us, if you look in verse 10, you know, my parents could just forsake me. This is a reality that he's dealing with. Armies could gather against me. I mean, these are the things that I'm facing. And yet he has this still in honesty with his struggles, tremendous confidence that God is with him and he's working. And it's not an empty confidence in a faith saying, hey, nothing's gonna happen to me. No bad things are gonna come near me. No bad things could come. And yet even if they come, I'm still okay because I'm with my father and he is with me. So I wanna just kind of just briefly jump into that and look at a strategy that God has given us for dealing with uncertainty. And I'll tell you, it's all found in one verse. It's real easy in this passage. It's all in verse four. If you want to look at verse four with me. And it can be summarized in three words, to dwell, to gaze, and to seek. So let's look at this strategy. Verse four, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that which I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So three words, to dwell, to gaze, and to seek. And here's what I want you to understand. You're doing this with something already right now. I mean, over the last few weeks, there's something you've been gazing on, something you've been seeking, something that you have been dwelling in, and it's resulting in how you're feeling and how you're reacting and all that's going on. He's simply saying, I want you to take that energy and focus on the Lord. The first thing is to dwell. So again, verse four, he noticed, he says, there's one thing that I ask, one thing that I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, the house of the Lord in the Old Testament was the temple. And he's not saying, I want to go to the temple and live there. Rather, he's saying, I want to be in God's unbroken presence. What he's asking for, he reiterates, if you look in verse eight, God says, you know, seek my face. And David goes, my heart says to you, God, right now in uncertainty and in fear, your face, Lord, I seek. What David longs for is the experience of his presence. And if you think about it, your face, 
It's the relational gate into your heart. Your face is the relational gate into your presence. When I'm away from my wife for a period of time, what I miss the most, what I remember is her face. Because it's through the face that we experience someone's presence. And today, if we're just honest, I mean, we're dealing with some forces that are much greater than us. They're greater than our world leaders. Uh, They've created instability in financial markets. Uh, They've created panic in our own stores and the places that we gather. Uh, these, These are forces that are at work around us, and yet David says, the thing that I need is I need to know God is with me, and I need to experience God personally. And notice the kind of confidence, if we have that in verse three, here's the kind of confidence he says he now has, knowing that God's with him, though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. I'd say, David, I'm afraid if an army's coming against me, that's enough to get me fearful. And yet he goes, the war rise against me, yet I'll be confident. He's not saying he has no anxiety for his life, but he's telling us the benefit that God's presence and honestly his face brings when we're with him. It comes really from a lifetime for David of learning what it means to dwell in God's presence. And see, that's the secret. That's the secret to dealing with fear, to dealing with anxiety, is simply learning day by day what it means to dwell in the presence of God. And so if I could share, I think our fears are directly related to the vulnerability of the things that we put at the center of our lives. Our fears today are in relationship to the vulnerability of the things that we have allowed, I think in the last couple weeks or months, to kind of slip into the center of our lives. The person that's really helped me with this is an old church father named St. Augustine. Augustine, he talked a lot about anxiety and fear. And here's what he wrote. He says, here's where anxiety comes from. All of us have good things in our lives. We have family. We have careers, we've got our health, we've got romance. All of these good things are in our lives. But when something which is finite becomes our one thing, and if that one thing is vulnerable, it leads to fear. It leads to gazing on the wrong things, dwelling on the wrong things. And see, that's when real anxiety sets in. Anxiety is, in some ways, like the smoke you might see off in the distance, You see it over the hills, and you know that smoke means that if you follow it down to its source, there is a fire. And Augustine says, anxiety is the smoke. It's the sign of a God, a false God that's collapsed and failed us. Something that is a temporal thing, that's a vulnerable thing, that's taken the place of the eternal thing, and it's creating anxiety in our life because it cannot support the weight of our lives, as David is facing physical death, as he's facing rejection, as he's facing uncertainty, he's saying, God, you've gotta be my one thing because you're the only thing that will give me stability. And in a time of uncertainty, what we need to learn to do is to make God our one thing. So the question is, okay, how do we do that? Sounds great, right? Sounds good, sounds easy. Okay, I wish I could just turn that on and push the fears away. It's not that simple. There are two things he tells us we need to do 
To dwell in his presence means to gaze and to seek. And I want you to understand both of those are equally important. The first thing he says is to dwell in God's presence means, and notice the language, to gaze on what? The beauty, the beauty of the Lord, the majesty, the wonder of God. See, when David says, I've come into your temple to gaze on your beauty, he's not necessarily saying, every time I come to church, I have this vision of God that just overwhelms me and floods my soul. No, he's describing a discipline of communion with God and engaging upon God. It's the difference between knowing about God and then knowing God. It's the difference between studying about his love and then having through the Holy Spirit an experience of his love on the heart. Now, again, Augustine has really helped me in this regard. When it comes to communion with God, he uses these three Latin phrases. And I may pronounce them wrong, so if you're watching this and I blow it, it's okay. Those three phrases are uh, retentio, contemplatio, and dilectio. Retentio, contemplatio, and dilectio. He says these are the three things that help us to gaze upon the beauty of God. The first is retentio, and it sounds like the word retain, and it is. It simply means to retain truth from God. That as we gather on a Sunday, as we listen to music, as we, we, we get into the Bible, what is the Holy Spirit teaching me right now? Sometimes that requires us just to open our heart and to pray. Sometimes it just pausing and allowing a word of scripture or a verse from a song or just a moment allowing God to speak to us and not allowing that moment to pass by, but retaining the truth that God is teaching you. What is he telling you about who he is and about who you are and what he wants you to do? In this day, I think it's so important we stop and we focus on the truth and we retain just one thing he wants us to hold on to. Now, that's the mind. The next step is contemplatio. We gotta contemplate, which means you need to start asking questions. And an honest question is, God, do I really believe this? Do I really trust you? What are you showing me about who you are? What are you revealing about what I need? And Father, if I can just be honest in my contemplation, this is what I think I need, and you're telling me this is what you need, it's okay to wrestle with God, to contemplate on who he is and where we are. And then finally, the place he wants to lead us to is dialectio, which is to delight in him. It's taking knowledge, moving it into the heart, and then finally, through the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing that knowledge to result. And some of you have had this, it results in comfort. You're reading a book, you're reading scripture, you're in a moment of worship, and there's this experience of comfort. Sometimes for me, it's not just comfort. Sometimes God disturbs me because there's something in my life he's trying to, to press into. It's not always a joyful, peaceful feeling. Sometimes God is convicting us and he's telling us, hey, there's something that you're putting as your one thing and it's not stable enough and he's warning us. See, this is the process. It's retaining, it's contemplating. It's like Paul says, opening the eyes of our hearts. And here again is what I think we all realize in the last couple weeks. There's something you're retaining, you're contemplating on, you're delighting in, and it's not helping. It's not resulting in the life and the emotions that God wants for us. Because again, the danger is so often in difficult times, 
the good things in our life have a way of sleep, slipping into that center place and becoming ultimate things. And what David is saying is in that time of retaining and contemplating and delighting, we have to do some confessing. We have to say, God, I gotta kick this out of the center. It's not helping me. It may be important, it may be good, but right now what's most important is simply seeking you and being with you. The first thing we do is we have to gaze. We have to gaze. And then the next thing he tells us, and this is the last thing, is we have to learn to inquire and to seek. To seek him, in verse four, as he says, in his temple. Now, what does that mean? To seek means to go and to get counsel. To inquire means to go and get counsel. That your disposition of heart as you come into God's presence after you gaze on his beauty is, God, you are Lord and I am not. You're not my advisor. You're not just giving me some nice information to make me feel better. In this moment, what I need is to surrender to you. What I need in this moment is to take my will and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And I'm saying this over my stock portfolio. I'm saying this over my health. I'm saying this over the national crisis. Thy kingdom come, Father. Thy will be done right now in Evergreen, right now in my heart, right now in my wife's heart, right now in my family, as it is in heaven. When we seek him, we're seeking to surrender our will our wants and our desires to his desires. And I want you to understand both gazing and seeking are absolutely important. It's what it means to follow Jesus. And it's what, it's the practices we need to become like Jesus. Because see, if all we do is seek and gather knowledge, if all we do is obey and obedience is good, but we never learn to gaze, we never see his beauty, We're never overwhelmed by his majesty. David says that's not enough in a time of uncertainty and fear. You need to seek him. But second, right, we also have to learn to gaze. We have to be overwhelmed by him. We have to let our emotions as well as our mind come in contact with him. And here's how we know that's true. Every good relationship requires seeking and gazing. Now, if we can be honest, I think it always starts with a lot of gazing, doesn't it? Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she amazing? Isn't he amazing? You want to spend time together. Some people like to talk on the phone. That wasn't me. You want, you want to be in each other's presence. And to be honest, there's this point of intimacy. You want to gaze and enjoy and be satisfied and raptured and overwhelmed. That's gazing on the beauty of the Lord. It's the same idea. But listen, if you gaze on him or gaze on her, but you never seek her heart... You never find out the rules of the relationship. You never find out the love languages. You never find out how she works and how he works. If there isn't gazing with seeking and seeking with gazing, the relationship falls flat. But when the two come together, you're dwelling in his presence. You're hearing his voice. And he's giving us himself, which is what we need in a time of difficulty and a time of anxiety. We need to start investing our fears, not in our fears, but rather moving our fears and our concerns into his presence. You see, what David's given us, what the Bible's given us, is not just a simple solution, it's not a Band-Aid. What I'm sharing with you today, it's not necessarily just gonna fix everything between now and Thursday. It's a discipline, it's a practice. It's a lifestyle, but as they say, the journey of a thousand miles 
It begins with one step, doesn't it? It begins with one step of surrender. One step just today, wherever you are. And I, and I hope if you're gathering at home and, and are you going to gather with others during the week or maybe it's tomorrow you're listening to this, at this time we just pause and, and just begin to surrender the things that are too heavy because he says, cast your cares and cast your cares on me because the promise is I care for you. Jesus said, come to me, you who are heavy, weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls, right? For your, my yoke compared to the world is easy. My burden, it's light. And the first step that we want to take this morning, and if you're following with us, is just simply to surrender. And, and I just want to take a couple minutes of silence, and, and could we just, just surrender those things to the Lord? Could we say, Father, this week, uh, before I turn on the ticker tape at the bottom or whatever it's called, or the news, or face the, the YouTube, right, all that stuff, would I just go to you? Would I just seek you? Would I just gaze upon you? Could we just this week maybe begin to do that? And then I think what God's going to start doing, you know what? Instead of focusing on yourself, he's going to start reminding you of what others need. He's going to start causing you to listen more. You're going to be more like Jesus. And in a time of crisis, Jesus is thinking about others because he's already thought about the Father and he's content in himself. Isn't that beautiful? That's the picture of the gospel. Let's just spend a few minutes, and I'm going to pray, and Stephen's going to come up. We're going to finish up a song, uh, but let's just spend a few moments in silence listening to what the Spirit wants us to do.